right. Well, um, good morning. If, if, for those of you who might not know it, uh, if you happen to be a guest with us, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with Christ Redeemer Church, and I get the chance to preach about once a month. And so here I am again, and it's my joy to be with you in this capacity again this morning. Uh, and today, we are going to begin a new sermon series, moving through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, this is going to take us a while. I'm thinking, uh, again, I, I preach only about once a month, and I'm thinking probably 16 or more sermons uh, devoted to Ecclesiastes. So you can do the math on that. It's going to take us a little while to get through it. Much like when um, I had the privilege of moving us through several of the, 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 the Psalms. It took us a couple of years, and that's probably what will happen here too, provided I keep preaching once a month. If I get pushed out to preach less, then it's going to take longer. We'll see from there. Um, But hey, this is going to be a good journey for us. Uh, Ecclesiastes, I think, is going to be good. It's going to be helpful for us, I think, for several reasons that I'll I'll mention as we move through the sermon series. But let me just mention, initially, I think that it's going to be helpful for us because Ecclesiastes understands our world, I think. It it, it gets our world. It understands that this that, that this world that we're living in is very often confusing, it's very often frustrating, uh, and, and Ecclesiastes is very honest about that. It's brutally honest about that at times. It's even, maybe we could say, offensively honest about that uh, sometimes. There is absolutely no sugarcoating whatsoever um, in anything in this book related to this life that we have out in front of us to live. Ecclesiastes is very transparent about this, this confusion and this frustration that we have in our world. Um, it's what it calls vanity, or we could use the word futility. And, um, but it's also helpful, so it's helpful in the sense that it's real about that, uh, but it's also helpful in that it doesn't just kind of make that observation about the world, but it also does offer us some counsel about what to do with that? How do we respond to that? How do we live now in light of all of this uh, confusion and frustra- frustration? And uh, we will get into that a bit today, but uh, we'll get into that in much more detail as we move through the sermon series. Now, I said that I'll probably uh, take 16 or, or perhaps more sermons to work through this book. So today, I just want to uh, begin with some uh, uh, introductory comments, and then we will move to talk more about what I think uh, we could say is the overall theme of Ecclesiastes. Uh, there are several themes that run throughout the book, but I think the overarching theme, uh, we'll talk about that. And really, that's the message for us today. That's the take-home message for us today, is what I would call the, the overarching theme of Ecclesiastes. And that is that we would be real, and we would fear God, and we would enjoy his good gifts in this life. That we would be real, fear God, and enjoy his good gifts in this life that he gives us. Be realistic about ourselves, be realistic about the world, and then again, fear God, and enjoy his good gifts in this life that he gives us. So um, that's how I would sum up the overall theme of the book And again, I think that'll be the take-home message for us today. And I'll get into that in a few minutes. Uh, First of all, let me make uh, a couple introductory comments here before we jump into that. First of all, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Who is this 
um, this preacher or this, this son of David that's mentioned right away in the first, first verse. In fact, you could open your Bibles now to Ecclesiastes if you haven't done that yet. Uh, right in the first, the, the first verse there. Who is this, this person? Well, the short answer is we don't know. We don't know who he is. He might be Solomon. That's the traditional view. King Solomon, son of David. Might be somebody else. Um, the scholars are debating that. And I personally don't have a, 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 a horse in the race, so to speak. I don't know. I'm persuaded both ways. So I don't know who wrote it. Uh, as, as far as who was the human that put pen to paper, so to speak. But ultimately... Excuse me. Ultimately, I think that this, this preacher or this teacher, as other translations uh, have it, he himself concedes that all of the wisdom that he offers here in this book, um, he, he gives credit to one who he calls the one, pre- the one shepherd, the one shepherd in chapter 12. And I think that's a reference, basically, to God himself. And, and, and really, I think that's actually a reference, ultimately, or I think that points us to Jesus. Uh, because in, in, in the New Testament, in John chapter 10, uh, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He calls himself the one shepherd over God's, uh, the, f- the flock of God's people. And then also, the author calls himself a, a son of David. And I think that also points us to Jesus, as he's referred to in the New Testament as the messianic son of David, who the, the Old Testament prophesied, the Old Testament promised would come. So, um, so just briefly there on the author, in the immediate context, who was the human who put pen to paper? We don't know with all certainty. Might be Solomon, might be somebody else. But either way, uh, we trust that at least as it's part of the Bible, this, this book of Ecclesiastes comes to us from God himself. This is God's word to us. This is, this is the word of our, of our good shepherd, Jesus, who wants the very best for us. This is from our shepherd. And then um, a second introductory comment here that I'll make. Speaking of Jesus, uh, and that is to say uh, a comment about Jesus and the New Testament as it's related to uh, Ecclesiastes. If, if, as we're searching through the book of Ecclesiastes, as with all of Scripture— and I think especially with the Old Testament, as we're looking through it, we've got to keep an eye on Jesus. We've got to keep Jesus in mind. We have to keep the, the fuller revelation that we have of Jesus and his teaching in the New Testament. We've got to keep that in mind in order to really fill out what Ecclesiastes means ultimately for us. Okay, so make note of uh, John chapter 5, verses 39 to 40. John 5, 39 to 40. There Jesus is speaking to a group of um, Jewish leaders. And he says, You search the scriptures, and you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Okay, so ultimately, God intends that Ecclesiastes would bear witness about Jesus. And not just bear witness about him, but bear witness about him so that we would come to Jesus and find life. That's, that's really the aim of this book. That we would come to Jesus and find life. Meaning that we would worship Jesus, that we would trust him alone for the forgiveness of our sins, and that we would follow Jesus as our only master. And uh, really, in the end, in that, that's where we are going to actually find real, true 
meaningful and, in fact, eternal life. Even out of all of the confusion and the frustration and the futility of all of our circumstances in this world. In fact, uh, speaking of futility and the New Testament, you can also make note of uh, Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 20. Romans 8 says that it was God himself who subjected the world to all the futility that we see and experience. God did that. Now, he didn't do that just arbitrarily, but God did actually do it, and the Bible is not shy about that fact. The Bible is not at all shy about that fact. It, it, it is part of what the Bible sometimes calls the curse. Uh, and and this, this is what God did in response to the first human sin. And now we feel the effects of that all over the place every day. Romans 8 says that God subjected the world to futility. And, and it goes on to say that we know that now the whole world or the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly. And really, I think the writer of Ecclesiastes is, is just steeped in this. He, he, he's swimming around in this world of futility. He's, he's feeling this groaning through the futility of life. And he's brutally honest about that. And he's writing out of very real-world encounters with that futility. And I think there's uh, hints in the book that he knows, at some level, that the core cause of all of it is human sin. And, and Romans 8 echoes that fact, and it fills that up for us uh, more, more clearly. And so, it, so Romans 8 helps us to um, kind of set the scene or understate, excuse me, understand the scene. Uh, this confusing, this frustrating world that the writer of Ecclesiastes is unpacking for us, this is ultimately the result of, of God's response to humanity, uh, humanity's sin. Which means that the solution then to this experience of futility has got to be one that deals with sin. If there's a solution to be had, it's got to deal with sin because sin is the core problem. And we have that in Jesus. We've got that in Jesus. Jesus was killed to bear the sin of everyone who will trust him for that. And so that we are forgiven and so that we don't have to live forever then in a state of futility. We can actually be set free from that. We can actually get a, a, a significant measure of freedom from that even right now, but, but, but that even points us beyond, and we have a promise that we will ultimately be totally set free from futility, from sin, I should say from sin, and all of its effects that takes the form of various futilities in, in the world. Um, uh, we will not only be freed from futility, just kind of in this negative sense, but, we, but positively, we will have purpose and meaning and justice to the absolute full when all is said and done because of Jesus. Okay, so those are just a couple introductory points um, to have in the background. Moving on, uh, several key themes throughout Ecclesiastes, um, but I think the main overarching theme is this take-home message that I've mentioned, and that is that we would be real, 
that we would fear God, and that we would enjoy the good gifts that God gives us in this life. And uh, so with the rest of the, the message today, I just kind of want to flesh that out a bit, that, that, uh, that theme. Um, hopefully it'll set the stage for uh, the uh, future messages to come in the, in the uh, series. And just uh, kind of a heads up, I'm not going to be probably too specific. Um, I'm going to be a bit general. Uh, might not be uh, as satisfying as you might like in terms of some examples or maybe some application Uh, trying to stay pretty general with this kind of as an introductory message to the whole book. Um, But again, hopefully this will set us up well for uh, future sermons in the series where we will get a little bit more detailed and specific. Um, So, we can jump in here now. Uh, All that introduction aside, um, be real, fear God, and enjoy his good gifts in life. So first of all, be real. Be real. Now, as I've said, um, Ecclesiastes is brutally honest about this world that we live in. Um, Ecclesiastes declares plainly and boldly right off the bat, uh, second verse, you can look at uh, chapter 1, verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity uh, of vanities. All is vanity. And we'll see that that refrain repeated many times throughout the book. And, uh, and then very near the end of the book, he draws to a close in chapter 12, verse 8. And he repeats himself again. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Now this is a major theme uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, that word vanity, literally, uh, it refers to a vapor. It refers to um, a mist or, or, or a puff of smoke. It's something that, that is, that's here one second, it's gone, gone the next. It's like that steam rising off your coffee in the morning. I mean, it's there a second, and it's gone. It's fleeting. Um, here one second, gone the next. But um, there really is a range of meaning to this word uh, as it's used in, it, in its different contexts or different sections uh, throughout the book. Um, by the way, some translators might use the word futility. I, I tend to uh, grab onto that word that is more familiar to me. Um, vanity conjures up other images in my mind. So, but but uh, futility is a legitimate translation. Some people use the word meaninglessness or meaningless. Um, those could work. But, um, but depending on the context, vanity, it expresses again this, this fleeting nature of life. It expresses a sense of perplexity and, and mystery. It refers to something that seems just unexplainable, really, uh, in, in some cases, just impossible to understand, incomprehensible. Sometimes it, it refers to something that just seems to have no advantage. Uh, we kind of give ourselves to this thing, and it doesn't really produce any gain for us. That's, it's futile. Um, or sometimes it's just frustration or anger. Okay, All of these things get, get wrapped up in this this word vanity, vanity of vanities. And, and let's be real. Let's be honest. This is very often, all of these things uh, that this word expresses, we experience that stuff. We go through that. And let's be honest about that. that this is life so often. This is a good description of, 
our experience of life. It's short, it's fleeting, it's perplexing, it's often unexplainable, it's often seeming, seemingly pointless. There's nothing to be gained from it, no value. Just this seemingly endless cycle. Uh, uh, wake up, eat, go to school or work, come home, eat, play, go to sleep, wake up, do it again, over and over and over again, uh, year after year after year. That this is life. And, and uh, Ecclesiastes, I think, pushes us to be real and to be honest about the seeming futility of that. It seems very futile. Life is fleeting, and it often seems rather pointless. It, it often, oftentimes, uh, uh, it's hard to find any real value, any, any real uh, meaning or lasting satisfaction. It, it often seems very unfair. Um, so unfair. Why do, why do bad things happen to good people? Now, that's a legitimate question. Because it, it happens all the time. Constantly. Bad things are happening to seemingly good people. And vice versa. So it, it's just, it's a strange world that we, we, we live in. And, and, and if God is God, why on earth do we see the oppression that we see? Why do we see the injustice that we see? Why do we see so much of what seems to be vanity if God is, uh, if God is who he is. Um, why can't I get a sense of purpose? Why can't I have some sense of, of lasting satisfaction? Okay, the, the writer, I think, is wrestling with these things and other things, and he, and he basically invites us in to struggle with them. He wants us to, I think, take off the rose-colored glasses, uh, step out from behind the stained glass windows, and see life for what it really is, and call it what it is. It's vanity. It's futility. Very often, in, in the everyday of life, how do we experience life? Very often, it's futility. And so, the, the writer, um, he, he basically sets out on a quest. He wants to figure all of this out. He, he, what is going on? Okay? He wants to know. How should we live? He wants to know in light of these things. And what do we do about all of this? And so if you look at chapter 1, verse 12, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, it's, uh, and, and following, it says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. Okay, so he searches out, he goes on this quest to search out all that is done under the sun. And he concludes, vanity. It's vanity. He just can't comprehend it. Uh, it's basically unexplainable to him. It's a mystery to him. It's, it's difficult for him to really see the, uh, the point in it all. And, um, and it's frustrating and it's confusing. And he goes on then to... Um, essentially, as a part of this quest, he goes on to, to, to basically test um, by experience. So he's going to jump into kind of a crazy life for a little while, and he's going to test by experience the many things that people do that they would consider a path to happiness and a path to meaning, okay? I'm going to try this. Alcohol, sex, hard working to build up a, a reputation or build many beautiful things even, many good things even. Amassing wealth, uh, various comforts and pleasure pursuits, and a bunch more. He engages in all of those things, and he comes up empty. Vanity. Futility. He cannot find 
the happiness and the meaning that is so often sought in those things. It's not there. It's empty. Um, And then as he's working through this quest, he absolutely groans about the reality or about the really, um, the, the vanity of all vanities. And that is death itself. Really, the futility of all futilities is death. Eventually, we all die. No matter what this life holds for us, we die. Rich, poor, have, have not, oppressor, or the oppressed, we all die. And for all of us, it's the same. We brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of the world. It doesn't matter what life has thrown your way. We all, it all ends the same. We die. Life is short, and then we die. That's the futility of all futilities. And, and on, then along this short journey, uh, just for good measure, life is short, and then we die. And along the way, guess what? It's confusing and frustrating. So, this is great. Um, we grope for meaning. We grope for satisfaction and joy and purpose. We're, we're, we're just longing to find some satisfying explanation for all the junk that we see in the world. And it's just like trying to catch the wind. I mean, we just cannot get a hold of it. We just, it just so often does not make a lot of sense. And I think that the writer, whoever he is, um, ultimately God, wants us to see that, and he wants us to be realistic, he wants us to be honest about that experience of life. And, and, and honestly, even if for some reason you might say, I don't ever experience that, well, everybody else in your life does. So be aware, and listen up if not uh, for that, that reason. And maybe you're the cause of it. Uh, I don't know. I know I am from time to time. Uh, so, what do we, but what do we do about that? Uh, what do we do about this? How should we respond? How, how should we engage in life in light of this realistic vision of the way things are? I, I th- and, I, and I think, um, so that's be real. Um, the next thing is, I think Ecclesiastes answers that question to say that we should fear God and we should enjoy the gifts that he gives us in this life, in the time that we have. Fear God and enjoy his good gifts in the time that we have. In other words, set your life in orbit around God. Make God the sun of the solar system of your life. Orbit your life around God. Let all of who you are, uh, all of what you do throughout all of your, your life revolve around God and his purposes, as much of those at least as we can understand. Do what we do. Live here, go there, buy and sell, and so on. Live life. Just live life, but do that oriented to God and his sovereign purposes. All right? Choose Choose to tether all of your coming and going to who God is and what are his uh, sovereign purposes. And I think Ecclesiastes sums that up uh, simply by saying, fear God and keep his commandments. And and really, that's the conclusion of the whole book, okay? So if you look at chapter 12, uh, verse 13 and 14... After all has been said... Um, After all that's been done, after this quest of his, this is what he says. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For 
God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So fear God. In other words, respect Him, honor Him, uh, live fully mindful of Him and His desires, remember Him, consider Him, align your life with His heart. Fear God. Live life fully devoted to His instruction, knowing knowing that ultimately he will resolve every futility. He will resolve it. Um, Everything that we might point at and say, futility, God is going to deal with that. He's going to resolve it. He's going to bring everything into judgment, and he's going to sort it all out. Okay, So he's going to resolve the confusion, and he's going to end the frustration. And then, knowing that that's true of what ultimately is going to happen... Then, jump into life and enjoy it. Jump into life and enjoy God's good gifts. I really think that is the overall counsel that Ecclesiastes gives us. And, um, and there's a couple of sections that I think sum that up pretty well. Uh, again, this counsel to fear God and enjoy his good gifts in life. And so if you look at chapter 3, verses 11 to 14... Chapter 3, verses 11 to 14. Um, He says, He has made everything beautiful in His time. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful, to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat, and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear him. And so, so we experience various forms of, of futility in this world. It's often confusing. It's often frustrating. Um, and we can't understand it all. In, in fact, we really can't understand it all, um, uh, which is what those verses just told us, uh, setting eternity in the heart. We can't figure out the beginning from the end until it's the end, okay? So what do we do in the here and now, given that perplexity? Answer, choose to be joyful. Choose to do good. Choose to be, to be joyful. Choose to do good. Choose to wring out of every circumstance that you can as much pleasure as you possibly can of all these good things that God gives us in life. Um, and, and you can look over to chapter 11, verse 9, for more on this. Chapter 11, verse 9. It says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Okay, so rejoice. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Go for it. Seize the day. Carpe diem, as they say. Or, or chapter, in, in, in chapter 9, the writer says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Make the most of every opportunity. Life is short. Make it count. But do all of that 
knowing that we are under the eye of our God. And God is good, he is our father, and he is our judge. So seize the day, wring out every ounce of joy that you can from all of the good things that God sends our way, but, but do that in accord with God's designs for those good things, all right? So do that according to what God judges is actually good and is actually best for us in terms of what will help us to flourish and find joy, okay? So um, uh, bear in mind, too, that the writer said uh, on that note that, that whatever God does endures forever, okay? So that is in direct contrast to this sense of futility that we get throughout the whole book. And, and I would say that in light of that, part of the reason why life does seem so futile so often is that we're trying to get enduring um, purpose or enduring satisfaction or enduring justice out of things that were never meant to give that. They were never designed for that. So we, we look to various things to give us Again, these, this enduring sense of justice or satisfaction or purpose whatever, and, and whatever it might be that we look to for those things. And then we're terribly frustrated and terribly confused when we don't get any sense of satisfaction in it. Okay, so, so uh, uh, our expectations are not met. And so then we get disappointed. The problem, however, is we never should have expected that in the first place. We never should have expected these certain things to give us enduring satisfaction, enduring justice, enduring meaning and, and purpose. If we want those things, and we want those things to endure, then Ecclesiastes would counsel us, I think, to basically turn and go get them in the things of God. In the things of God, according to God's priorities. Pursue the priorities of God, the, the various things that God judges to be good and right and just and satisfying and, and so on. Grab a hold of life and really live it to the full. Again, just wring out every ounce of joy and satisfaction that you can, but again, do that according to what God judges to be good and best for our flourishing. I mean, you all know, I know, we run after all kinds of things looking for meaning and purpose, and, and they're not what God designed to give us what we're looking for. So, of course, futility will be our experience. Um, but go get it. Go get the good stuff. Uh, just do it according to God's um, priorities and what he determines to be good and best for our flourishing. So, so eat the brownie. Eat the brownie. Just don't eat 20 of them. Uh, drink the drink. Don't get drunk. Have sex with your wife and nobody else. Okay? In, go get these good things that God has given us. But go get them in accord with how he's designed them to give us the pleasure that uh, he has. Um, fear God and enjoy the good gifts that God gives us in life. We could say go play in, in the backyard of God's uh, world, right? But just don't play in the street. And, 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 uh, and, and just go get it, have fun, but just be mindful of the boundaries of God's character and God's priorities, okay? Um, and I, I think that this gets echoed and this gets filled out more in the New Testament as well. 
So you can just make note of Colossians 3, verse 17. Colossians 3, 17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus. So go, do, live, eat, drink. Just be mindful to do it in the name of Jesus. Be mindful of the character of Jesus. Be mindful of the mission of Jesus. Be mindful of the purposes of Jesus, the priorities, the character of Jesus. Uh, We could say, uh, kind of pulling an Ecclesiastes text in and mushing in with this one, we could say, rejoice and let your heart cheer you. Walk in the ways of your heart and, and, and the sight of your eyes, but do it all in the name of Jesus. That, that would be a good way to sum it up, I think. Um, another way that we could see this, I think, in the New Testament, or another way to look at this, this pursuit of God's good gifts and, and, and thinking about joy, um, Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verses 8 to 9. You can make note of that. Philippians 4, verses 8 to 9. Uh, that says, Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any, any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The, the me being the Apostle Paul. Practice these things. Think about these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Think about these things and practice these things, and the God of peace will be, be with you. In other words, Focus your thoughts, focus your energies on what's good from God's hand and what's good from God's perspective. Uh, we, could, we could say, don't give in to the broken tile syndrome. You know what the broken tile syndrome is? There's a there's hundred uh, tiles in the ceiling, and of the hundred, there's one that's broken over in the corner, and that's the one you notice. And, and there's 99 perfectly good, wonderful, beautiful tiles and you see the one broken one. Okay, don't get sucked into that. Think about the 99 really amazing uh, tiles in, 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 in the ceiling, all right? Um, don't focus on the broken tile. Focus on, uh, don't focus on the, the broken tile that we could maybe say represents uh, futility maybe in, in this life. Absolutely, be real. Uh, be honest. There is a broken tile. It's not that it doesn't exist. Let's be honest about that. A lot of life totally stinks for various reasons. It's confusing. It's frustrating. Um, that's, that's true. Be real about that. There's plenty of futility to see if we'll choose to see it, uh, if we'll choose to focus on it. But I think Philippians 4 would say, listen, choose a different focus. Uh, don't careful about how much you obsess over the hard things in life or the difficult things in life. Focus on and invest in what's true and what's honorable and just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Um, I think, think about these things, practice these things. Even in this world that I think is, is just shot through with futility, uh, fleeting life, right? This unexplainable life, an unfair life, a meaningless life. Um, even in the midst of all of that, there are good things that we can focus on. There are good things for which to be grateful. And um, I think Ecclesiastes, I think our good shepherd would, would call us really just to grab a hold of those things and enjoy them while we can. Uh, so 
for example, maybe a, a, a farmer might have his birthday party washed out because of rain. But his crops got watered. So it's cheesy, but great. That's a good thing. His crops got watered. Don't have my birthday party, but my crops got watered. That's awesome. There's something good to be excited about. There's something good for which to be grateful. And so, um, so, so focus on um, those things. Focus on those things. Um, so again, how do we respond to the futility that we face so often? Answer, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but fear God and keep his commandments. In fact, that's, I think, a good way to sum up two sides of the same coin. We live for God. On one side of that coin, we live for God. And in so doing, we discover abiding, uh, enduring satisfaction and meaning and joy and justice. Or we, we, we live for lasting, enduring joy and satisfaction and justice, and we discover that it's found only in God. It's found only in God in, in, in the life that he uh, did, says is good for us and, and would be best for us for our uh, flourishing, a life according to his design and his priorities. And really, I think that also gets echoed in the New Testament. I think that gets filled up more, um, really in some words of Jesus himself. Um, Jesus, uh, you could turn over to John 15 if you want to take a look there. John 15, verses 10 to 11 um, Jesus said over there, um, he, he connects our lasting joy with keeping his commandments, with following him, okay? Or we could say with fear God and there's joy. Well, Jesus connects these two. Um, in John 15, verses 10 to 11, he says, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Okay, so um, bearing that text in mind, even if Ecclesiastes would, in fact, charge us to to fear God and keep his commandments as as a part of the response to the futility uh, in the world, well, Um, even if that would be uh, his counsel, well, there's a major problem with that. And that is that we don't keep God's commandments. And we regularly fail to fear God and keep his commandments. And that's a regular source, actually, of the futility that we experience. Um, In fact, a lot of the futility that we experience, we bring it on ourselves because of not... um, uh, fearing God and walking in his commandments. But, Jesus says, I have kept my Father's commandments. I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in, in his love. Jesus kept the Father's commandments on our behalf. His obedience is our obedience, if we'll trust him for that. And so, through Jesus' death on the cross... He paid the penalty for our disobedience, which is death, which is the ultimate futility. That's the penalty, okay? And, and, but, but Jesus did that so we get credited with his obedience. And then through Jesus' resurrection, he defeated that futility named death. He defeated it. And so then he can guarantee that for everyone who trusts in him, 
that he, he'll give that same freedom from futility through our eventual uh, resurrection from the dead as well. There still is the futility of death, but that futility has ultimately been defeated because when we die, if we're in Christ, we're resurrected to overcome that death and live life um, totally free from futility forever. Uh, And in the meantime, again, full of gratitude then, Jesus, our good shepherd, calls us to keep his commandments, to keep Jesus's commandments. And why? For joy. He wants our joy. He wants our enduring satisfaction, full joy, overflowing forever. Some, some joy now, but that pointing us to and anticipating lasting joy, abiding in God's love forever. God's, uh, uh, Jesus' love in us, our love, or our, our joy made full because of Jesus. This is, this is why Jesus would say, obey my commandments, follow my commandments. And I think really that's the end game of, of Ecclesiastes. When we, when we consider it in light of uh, the New Testament, in light of Jesus' uh, teaching and his revelation, like all of Scripture, it is meant to point us to Jesus so that we might come to him, so that we might find life, so that we might find full life and even eternal life. And Ecclesiastes does that through um, uh, many uh, key themes throughout, but I think it does that especially um, with this overall theme that I've given it. Uh, and, and that is, again, this charge, I think, for us to be real, to fear God, and to enjoy his good gifts in uh, this life. Or, I think we could actually take Jesus' words, too, um, what we saw there in, in John uh, 15. We could take Jesus' words, actually, and I think they're actually pretty good words to summarize all of the wisdom that Ecclesiastes has to offer us. Um, Namely, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So, in the midst of a a broken and an often futile world, um, ultimately, Ecclesiastes really is the call of the good shepherd Jesus to come and to follow him and enjoy his ways despite the futility. And... So we would get a taste, actually, of joy and purpose now that anticipates truly enduring peace, purpose, joy, really enduring satisfaction, justice for, uh, forever. Which is going to come, uh, remember the last verse in uh, Ecclesiastes, it's going to come when, when God does finally bring everything under judgment. And he's going, so then he will resolve it. Then he'll sort it out. He'll, he will really, truly fix everything. Uh, he will, he will dispel the confusion. He will end the frustration. And so, um, all of this stuff in our minds, in our hearts, be real, fear God, and enjoy his good gifts in life. Um, be real. In other words, again, uh, recognize that Life is full of futility, and and we're in the middle of it, and look to Jesus to escape it. Be real. Look to Jesus to escape the futility. Fear God. In other words, look to to orient all of your life around his commands, around his purposes, around his priorities, that all ultimately climaxes in the ministry of Jesus. And then uh, in Jesus, 
jump in to God's world and enjoy the good gifts that he, that he gives us and get, get every ounce of, of, of joy out of it that you can. Uh, and, and just do that using God's gifts according to the designs um, uh, that he's created in them, according to um, how they are supposed to give, uh, to give joy. So um, that's really um, it for this an attempt at kind of an introductory sermon to a series of possibly uh, more than 16 uh, messages on this book. Um, And I realize, I just want to say again, that I realize that this probably feels kind of big, it feels general, um, not too specific with examples or applications, but hopefully this sets the stage uh, for getting into some of those details uh, throughout our journey here through the book. In the meantime, um, I'll just say this. I would just encourage you to uh, counsel one another on, on these things, right? Connect with your life group and your small group and um, counsel one another about how can you best orbit your life around God and his purposes, around Jesus, um, in your specific context with the specific futilities that you are facing, okay? And, and how can you pull all the joy out of God's good gifts for you in the context of your specific um, futility that you are facing. Uh, Talk to one another about that. Counsel one another about how you can uh, best do that. Um, All right, that's all I've got. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we we do just want to acknowledge this morning that you um, are good and... uh, Yet we see much injustice around, we see oppression around, we see confusion around, we see frustration, Um, but you're good. And that's a statement of faith. We, We say that by faith. It's not easy to always see that. And I pray that you would help us to be real, you'd help us to recognize the futility in our lives and turn to Jesus to overcome it, to turn to Jesus, to ultimately escape from it. You'd help us to fear you. You'd help us to center our lives um, in you, around you, uh, around your priorities. And, and Lord, help us to enjoy the many good gifts that you have poured out uh, uh, on us, in us, around us, in this amazing world that you have made. In Jesus' name, amen.